Ian and I watching a video together. Ben's going to get the lights. It's about a high school runner named Ben Cohen. C-O-M-E-N. You're going to want to Google that later, I bet. That's why I told you Ben Cohen. We're going to watch a part of his story. And while the video is several years old, its message is timeless. There are days when Ben Coleman leaves the family home on Knoxwood Court just as the sun is rising. Autumn days when he takes to the paths of Anderson, South Carolina. Along freshly painted picket fences and down shady old lanes, Ben Coleman runs. I'm very relaxed. Nothing bothers me. I'm just off in my own little, little world where everything's perfect. He loves to run. A, a kid who we didn't think would ever walk, he just loves to run. 18-year-old Ben has cerebral palsy. He has limited control of his arms, and the stiffness in his legs makes it tough for him just to pick his feet up. He's had to sleep with a leg brace. He's had to undergo physical therapy. Still, Ben runs. And not just for the joy of it. Ben Coleman runs to compete. For the last five years, he's been on the cross-country team at T.L. Anna High School. Even if someone said, no, I can't. I like to be able to go, yes, I can. Uh, it used to really bother me. To have people saying, oh, look at that funny-looking, funny-walking kid. Now, if they can say all they want, I'm still going to do what I do. From his earliest days, what Ben Coleman wanted most was to be on a team. But Ben and his parents could not find a team that would let him play. <laughs> They were happy to have him there if he was sitting on the bench, or they were happy to have him there if he was satisfied being a water boy. He wasn't satisfied, neither were we. Then at the end of seventh grade, Ben learned that eighth graders were eligible for the high school cross-country team, and his mother phoned the coach. I felt like I needed to call and let him know that there was something a little different that he might have to contend with. You know that. He might be a little slower, he has cerebral palsy. I said, no problem, bring him on. And, and she told me that, that, you know, he had a condition and, and I told her, I said, don't worry, we'll take care of him. I was just really considered part of the team. Nobody looked at me weird or said, what's he doing here? Um, they all were just like, coach, come on, let's go. Most runners take about 20 minutes to complete a 3.1 mile course. Ben needs more than twice that long, 45 minutes that wrap his uncooperative body and test his spirit as he falls far behind everyone else. Ben's one of the most competitive kids I've ever seen. You, you've got to be competitive to, to almost never beat anybody, to constantly try to beat your time. And that's what Ben wants to be. He wants to beat his time. It's sometimes hard to keep going in a long time. 
I get nervous sometimes out on courses that what's going to happen if I fall and can't get up again or something happens, what am I going to do? Because I do sometimes get lonely. But as Ben would continue to run, he found that he was not alone, that some competitors who had already completed the course and others who care about him were coming back to run with him. I feel very, very blessed to know that everybody's so willing to, to come back because I know they're all tired because they've already run their race. I just feel happy knowing that they're willing to be there and they're watching out for me. They would cheer him on and they would help him up the times when he would fall. Often we can run our race and forget about the other runners around us. 
not go back. In the story of the Good Samaritan, you see that, don't you? You see people running the race, the priest and the Levite. They pass by and there's no record of them going back. They just didn't. But when we turn back to help others, magic begins to happen. Let's see what God says about this. Ecclesiastes 4, just two verses is what we're going to look at as our focus. Verses 9 and 10. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Two people are better off than one. For they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Later on in the video, if you go home and watch the whole thing, there's a segment of been falling time after time after time. And every time it fell, it hurt me to watch. And you would see others running up to help him, to pick him up. And then later on, you'd see him holding his shirt so he just couldn't fall anymore. Healthy churches help the fall. Healthy churches help the fall. When sometimes it's just easier to pass them by. Our job is to go back. Our job is to stop. In 2005, after Hurricane Katrina hit Mississippi and Louisiana, we lived in Indiana at the time, and I was able to go on a couple of mission trips to the Gulf Coast. And I remember on the first trip I went on, Jeannie said, take a lot of pictures. I want to see what it's like. And if you went and saw Katrina, you knew the pictures wouldn't do it justice. It was like telling somebody to go to Times Square with a sketch pad and draw it. It was impossible. I don't think I took any. It was just so devastating. And a lot of stories happened down on the coast. But the most interesting thing that I found about it, the number one vehicle that we saw when we were on the coast was not from the electric utility. It was not from any other public service. The number one vehicle I saw on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi was church vans and church buses. They outnumbered any and every vehicle you would see. And when I saw that, I was so proud to be a Christian. I was so thankful to be part of a church and the church as a whole because then and there, they were doing exactly what they should be doing. Helping strangers that were down and needed help. Last Thursday I prayed at Cumberland Academy of Georgia right behind me. As you may know, Cumberland is made up of autistic students. I think fourth grade is when they begin and it goes through the seniors. A couple of things happened Thursday when I was at graduation that tied into our scripture. They make every child, fourth grade through senior, come up and speak in the microphone in front of a couple of hundred guests at graduation. And they don't say much. They read a little card that they've practiced. And they might say something as simple as, congratulations, seniors, work hard, good luck. They make them say a sentence. 
say their name, say a sentence. At a regular graduation, that wouldn't mean much. But at a graduation for autistic children, you can see the family sitting on the stage and you can just see the families grinning from ear to ear. That's my son. That's my daughter. They're talking in front of people when maybe they came to the school and wouldn't even talk to their but at graduation, they all read a card and they all speak. It was wonderful. Ben said he was so excited on the video when he could get to eighth grade because he found out there was a team that he would belong to. He always wanted to be on a team. A kid Thursday said that he had transferred there. He talked about how he loved the school. He said he had transferred there from public school and he said, I didn't have any friends. And now I've got a lot. And it was such a moment to me because of the scripture that we're reading. And he belongs to a team now. And two people are better off than one. The commencement speaker Sunday, Thursday, was Ron Hunter. Ron is the head basketball coach at Georgia State. I don't know why you couldn't say Georgia Tech. A lot of us love Georgia Tech, don't we, Casey? <laughs> Casey's graduating this week and headed to Georgia Tech. Ron is the head coach at Georgia State. You might remember Ron from coaching in the NCAA tournament off of a stool because he had torn his Achilles and he fell off the stool when his son hit the winning shot and went to the big day. Remember that a couple of years ago? Ron's a fine Christian man, and I enjoyed meeting him. Ron is part of a ministry called Samaritan's Feet. And what they do is they collect shoes for children all over the world who don't have shoes. And he goes to Africa once or twice a year and delivers shoes. There's a lot of coaches involved in Samaritan's Feet. And one game a year, the coaches coach barefoot. And the people in the stands are asked to add to a collection. and They give shoes away. Ron said that he takes his basketball team maybe once a year to Africa. And he makes them wash the children's feet and give them socks and shoes. And he said it's been such a great team building exercise to reach out and to help other people. The ministry that Ron has been part of, he said Thursday, he's helped collect over 1.7 million pairs of shoes. He hasn't done it by himself. He's had help, lots of help, because two people are better off than one. Randy Fries has written a book called The Connecting Church. And he has a son who was born without a left hand. His son was in elementary school and was in Sunday school one Sunday morning. And the teacher was talking to the kids about the church. And she used the illustration. You remember this one? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. Remember that? There are the people. And when she started the exercise, she began to panic because she realized she had a student in there 
that only had one hand. And she didn't know what to do, and she didn't know how she was going to get out of it. And then she noticed a friend of the little boy who had known him since they were babies together in the nursery came over and stood next to him and said, let's do this together. And so the boy with one hand used his right hand and the boys with two hands offered his left and they put their hands together. They figured it out. Here's the church. Here's his people. And open the doors. And there's the people. And the teacher said it never meant as much to her in her life until she saw two people do it together. Because two are better off than one. What a beautiful picture of the church. On Wednesday nights, we gather for prayer time. Here's a commercial. You're invited. One of the things that we do is we pray for the fallen. And maybe they're sick. Maybe they have family trouble. Maybe there's been a death. But it's important that we do that as a church. And that's one of the things we can do to help the fallen. Many of you are involved in the community meal. Bless you for doing that. And in doing that, you help some people that really need help. When churches do that, when we help the fallen, we become what God wants us to become. And remember how important it is from Matthew chapter 25. I begin at verse 31, the separation of the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him, He'll sit upon His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in His presence. He'll separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He'll place the sheep in His right hand, the goats in His left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me to your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you cared for me in prison. You visited me. The righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry? Are thirsty to give you something to drink, or stranger to show you hospitality, or naked to give you clothing. When did we ever see you in sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So God expects us to help the fallen. And when we help the fallen, we're helping God himself. On the cover of your bulletin is a statue. Let me tell you the story behind the statue. There's a little discrepancy about when it happened and where it happened. But there's no discrepancy about it happening. Jackie Robinson was the first African American to play Major League Baseball. And while breaking what they call the color barrier, he faced a lot of opposition and a lot of heckling and jeers in most stadiums. Some say it happened in Brooklyn. Others say it happened in Cincinnati. But Jackie 
made an error. And people began to ridicule him and poke fun and say ugly things. And he stood at second base humiliated while the fans said what they said. And then shortstop Pee Wee Reese came over and stood next to him and put his arm around him. The fans loved Pee Wee Reese and they grew quiet. And Robinson later said that that arm around his shoulder might have saved his career. So go find a shoulder to put an arm around. Look for an opportunity to help the fallen around you. Pray for God to give you somebody to minister to. And then go do it. Let's pray together.